Okay, we're going to continue our study. We're going through the Old Testament. I could tell by the look in your eyes today, we're going to need that bell. <laughs> Fellowship abounds, which is good. That's good. That's cool. So we're in the Old Testament. We're up to 2 Kings chapter 8. As we continue with our study here, we're just going to jump right into this passage because it's got, it's got enough in here for us to grab some of the background on its own. In uh, 2 Kings, in the Old Testament, chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life. And Elisha, of course, is the, the prophet of the Lord here. He's referred to as the man of God through the passage in different places. It's, it's all pointing back to him. But if you remember the story from back in chapter 4, this was the, this, uh, Elijah here was coming through the area and there was a lady there that would always stop and have food ready for him when he came. And at one point, her and her husband even got a room available for him. They knew he'd be coming through town ever so often, so they had this upper room for him to stay in. So this woman and her husband, you know, they, they were real blessing to Elisha as he was coming through. So now uh, he's going to re return the favor to them by telling them what the Lord has in store for the northern kingdom where, where they were living. So the Lord just identifies who this woman is. Uh, her son is the one that was restored to life. So Elisha was able to uh, see the Lord bring him back from the dead. And that was a, an amazing testimony. So here's this lady. She comes back in the story again. And he's got a message for her. So as it goes on in verse 1. Elisha said to her, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. Now, Elisha didn't tell them specifically where to go. You know, he didn't give them orders to say, You have to go to this certain place. That was to be their choice. But he did tell them that they needed to leave the area where they were living. Because the Lord was calling for this famine, and it was going to be a long one, seven years. You know, these people are in an agricultural area, and that's a long time when nothing's growing, you can't get food, you're going to have to try to locate food outside of your own area. That's a real struggle. So he said it's going to last seven years. Now, this famine is going to be a judgment from the Lord against his people in the northern kingdom because of their, their constant disobedience. Of course, his desire would be that this would bring them to repentance. You know, this judgment was supposed to wake them up. That was the, the hope. Now, if they received this hard lesson from the Lord the right way, then they would humble themselves. They would see their great need to follow the Lord, and they would reject all the false idols that they've been bowing down to. And if you remember, uh, these people have been worshiping the false calf idols that were set up. Remember, they set those up right after the kingdom was divided, between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the uh, northern king was afraid of losing people to have them go down to Jerusalem to worship, so he set up his own idols there and said, these are your gods, and he had one in the north and one in the south of their territory, and they, were, they looked like a calf. They were a calf idol. So these people had also been uh, led into worshiping Baal, the false god that Queen Jezebel had promoted, and Baal was supposedly the weather god, if you remember us talking about that before. So this judgment, this famine, was directly against Baal. 
which should have shown the people that Baal was useless in trying to stop the God of Israel. Unfortunately, you know, these people were not going to repent for good, and they weren't going to stop following their false idols. Now, I think it's interesting, the Lord's going to give them seven years here of this difficult time. It reminds us there's a seven-year tribulation period coming for Israel, and it's designed to bring repentance too. The good news we know is that it will work. <laughs> At the end of the seven-year tribulation, the nation of Israel will repent, and they will receive Jesus as their Messiah. The Lord shows us that in his word, and his word is always true. So interesting that he gives them seven years here. We also see another interesting picture here, though. This woman, whose son had been brought back to life by Elisha in her household, you know, they were part of the remnant of true believers that were still living in the northern kingdom. And the Lord removed them from that place before he brought his judgment there. So when the church is removed at the time of the rapture, before the tribulation starts, we see the same thing. The Lord removes his remnant, his righteous ones, before he brings judgment to this world. And it's important to notice things like this as they go through the scriptures, because some people try to argue with you and say, the, the rapture isn't true, there is no such thing, because the Lord doesn't remove his people from judgment. He always makes them go through it. I'm thinking you missed some major passages in scripture if you really believe that, because <laughs> like this one here is pretty clear that the Lord removed his people before the judgment came, okay? So this is one of the things we notice about the Lord. So let's go on to verse 2. So the woman arose, and she did, according to the saying of the man of God, that's Elisha, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. So we see the obedience of this woman. And you know, it looks so wonderful to see this. <laughs> when we notice all the disobedience that's constantly seen in the northern kingdom during this time, it's so refreshing to see someone who is willing to obey the Lord and being so obedient. You know, it's just, she's told to go, it says, so she arose and she did. <laughs> she did what she was told. And don't think that it's any different today. When this world is getting more wicked by the day, you know, because of the growing rebellion against the Lord, it is so refreshing to see someone stand up for the Lord and just do what the Lord tells them to do, you know? And I, I'm sure that the, it truly blesses the Lord, too, when he sees his children exhibiting, exhibiting God-honoring obedience. I'm sure that blesses the Lord. So we're told, too, that this woman went with her household to the land of the Philistines during the time of this famine, the whole time, and they didn't have to go extremely far away. They just had to get out of the specific area where God was calling for the famine. Now, this was obviously a sacrifice for this woman and her household. You know, I'm sure... She, it was hard for them to have to pull up roots and move completely to a different area. So her obedience did come at a cost. But she was willing to do it because she knew that God was saving her life and her family's life by her doing this. So that was the wisest thing she could do. Now think about this. The Lord has said that he's bringing judgment on this world. But there is one way that any person can be saved. And that way is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And also, we're told in the book of Acts that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And yes, it will cost you something to follow Christ. 
Take a look at Matthew chapter 16 for a minute. I know it's a passage you're familiar with, but just a reminder to us, and the Lord is good about reminding us, and I thought we'd have a chance to look at this passage. Matthew chapter 16, if you look down to verse 24, Matthew 16 and verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So we know it costs something to follow Christ. It costs your life. You've got to be willing to say, Lord, I, I want to follow you. I'm done going my own way. And, and the Lord calls us to that because he knows that's what's best for us. You know, for those of us have, who have committed ourselves to Christ, we can say amen to that, right? That it was worth it all, man. I'm so glad I gave my life to Christ. I'm so glad I let him take over, let him lead me, and I've surrendered to him. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything, you know? And I think that's our testimony, right? But whatever the cost is that you have to give for following Christ, it is worth it. Because God is saving your life, not just for now only, but for all eternity. Think about that. So bow your knee before God Almighty and accept what Christ did for you on the cross. Ask Jesus to come into your life and follow him from now on. It will be well worth it for all eternity. Now verse 3 goes on. It came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines. And she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Now remember, the Israelites, when they first entered the promised land, you know, each family was given a portion of the land according to the tribe they were from. And this land was supposed to remain in that family for how long? Forever, right? And the Lord set up the system so it would continue to work that way. So apparently, this woman and her family, they were gone for seven years while they were gone, Someone had squatted on her land, and now she's coming, she's going back to her land, and she realizes somebody took my stuff, you know, so she's going to go through the proper channel, she's going to present this before the king, and she's going to try to get her land back, which is rightfully hers, it's legally hers, okay? So the Lord's letting us in on this bit of the story, he wants us to see something here. Verse 4, then the king talked with Gehazi, and we're reminded who that is, he's the servant of the man of God, remember Gehazi? He's a guy we, we ran into in the past there who was a real close servant of Elisha. And he, the king now was talking with this guy. And here's what he's saying. Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Now, this is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He apparently, for some reason at this moment in time, wanted to hear stories about the miraculous things that Elisha, the prophet of God, had done. It's strange because we're not sure why he wanted to know at this point. <laughs> he was a, very, a pretty wicked king. He didn't have any desire to follow the Lord himself. So maybe it was just a curiosity that he was trying to satisfy. You're not really sure. But it was amazing timing for him to be asking such questions. Also, he wanted to hear, you know, these tremendous stories from an eyewitness. So he's speaking to the man who used to be close to the servant a close servant to Elisha, and his name here is Gehazi. You know, we're reminded of his name. 
But if you recall what happened to Gehazi, why he's not standing next to Elisha right now, uh, he tried to pull a stunt. Remember get, trying to get some money out of Naaman after the Lord healed him. And because of that, the Lord called him on it and the Lord put the leprosy on uh, Gehazi that was on Naaman. So Gehazi ended up with leprosy himself. And that was his judgment for being foolish there and trying to get money from this new believer. So why was Gehazi standing here before the king? You know, if we heard that he had leprosy before. That's a really good question. And it's not even really addressed or brought up in the story here, probably because it's not the main point. You know, that's what the Lord, he's not worried about telling us about that right now. Apparently, he, the Lord's just letting us know that the king wanted to hear from a witness who saw firsthand what the Lord did through Elisha. And it's funny if you look at some of the commentaries trying to figure this out, because the Lord doesn't give us any details about why. <laughs> some people said, well, maybe this was before he got the leprosy. I don't think so, because he'd have been with Elisha, he wouldn't have been here. Uh, some people said, well, maybe the king had him at the end of the court and was talking long distance. I don't know. But for whatever, however it worked, the Lord just wants us to know he wanted this eyewitness. So he calls this particular guy, and it's really important that they're both there right now for what's going to happen next. Look at verse um, 5 as it goes on. Now what happened, as he was telling the king how he had restored the, the, the dead to life, this, this woman's son, that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, my lord, O king, this is the woman and this is her son whom Elijah restored to life. Now, isn't this interesting? At the same time that Gehazi is explaining to the king about Elisha bringing this one woman's, this, this some lady, that the king probably doesn't know at this point, he brought this lady's son back to life again after he died. And, you know, he, he says, it's like, wow, lo and behold, look who's here. <laughs> here's the woman and, and here's her son. And here's the one that Gehazi's talking about. He says, just he's telling this story, it's like, well, matter of fact, here she is, you know? And her son, he's standing right here too, the one that was raised back to life. So, wow, it's just amazing. Now, <laughs> it's just, a, to me, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing picture here. You can't plan things this well, you know, to make it line up. Because neither of these parties knew about this beforehand. They didn't say, hey, on this particular day, we got to be at the king's place at the right time because everybody's going to be there and all this is going to happen. No, they were just going about their normal day. And it's amazing because this has the Lord written all over it. So the Lord probably put that idea in the king's head on that day, at that time, you know, to hear about Elisha's miracles because he probably heard Gehazi's around. We can get that guy. Okay, bring him here. I want to hear him. So he's the one going, setting things up from that side. And uh, it's amazing that the Lord had these other, this lady and her, her, her family come back at just the right time when they were talking about this, right? So don't you love it when the Lord leaves his fingerprints all over something? I mean, you just can't miss. This had to be the Lord. And it wasn't like the king, you know, regularly sat around wanting to hear stories about Elisha because the king had no respect for Elisha. We saw that before. He had no desire to follow the true God of Israel. That wasn't on his heart. <coughs> so why on this day he wanted to know? Only the Lord knows. But when we see things like this, that the Lord clearly set up, it reminds us that we should never give up on the Lord, you know? You know, wouldn't you like to have seen the look on Gehazi's face and the king's face when they realized these people were standing right in front of him while they were telling this story? It's almost like you've seen a ghost, you know? Yeah, they must have been totally shocked. And that's what we've seen before. 
when the Lord shows up in some circumstance, it's amazing, you know. He can, he can surprise the socks off of us. Uh, verse 6 goes on. And when the king asked the woman, so now that the woman's here, he's got an eyewitness from Gazi, but now he's got the woman here who is also a witness. <coughs> Excuse me. When the king asked the woman, she told him. So she answered him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. So the king had to ask this woman, is this true? Did this really happen? And she told him it was, you know. And it appears that the Lord used this particular incident, to, uh, that it, he set all this up, that this lady might have great favor in the eyes of the king because he assigned a special officer to get things straightened out for her. You know, I like what, what Rich said this morning with the prayers. The Lord wants to do so much for us because he loves us so much. And right here in the passage, you see everything the Lord has set up, that this lady might be blessed because she's following the Lord. And the Lord wants the people to see, when you follow me, you can expect blessings. You don't have to be afraid and say, oh, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, if you follow the Lord, he's going to bless you, you know. So not only did the king get her land back for her, but he also wanted her awarded any profit that was made off the land during the seven years that she was away. So I tell you, I don't know who it was that came and squatted the land, but I would kind of enjoy seeing that guy say, what, you mean all the money I made off the crops I grew and everything else, whatever else I did, animals, whatever he did, you mean I got to give that to that lady? Yeah, you were on her land, it's her stuff, you know, you can't do that. So she got justice, and we, I don't know, we love to see justice, you know, we don't see it enough in our own society, we love to see it when it's there. So we definitely need to be encouraged and just trust the Lord, you know. Even when you're living in a corrupt society, the Lord can still get you justice according to his will. And I say this mainly to myself because it really bugs me when I see some of the corruption going on around us. And I'm sure that some of you probably heard me complaining about it. So this passage speaks to me personally about just trusting the Lord rather than complaining about the corruption that you see. And maybe you're even involved in when you get it pointed at you, you know. Then we need to realize, too, that if the Lord allows us to go through a, a time of testing like that, where we are treated unfairly, you know, because of a corrupt system, then he's probably doing that to teach us to be sympathetic toward others when they've been treated unfairly also. So don't ever get mad at the Lord about stuff that he has us go through. I know sometimes you wonder, Lord, what are you, what are you doing, you know, but he's, he's preparing us. We're going to minister to somebody else, so hang in there as you go through that. And who has ever been treated more unfairly than our Lord Jesus Christ? You know, when they wrongly accused him, condemned him to death, when he was totally innocent, right? And as the scripture said, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So Jesus never complained when he was treated so unjustly. Instead, he prayed for their forgiveness. Wow. You know, did, did anybody else need to hear that or was that just for me to know that don't complain but pray for these people because Jesus loves them, he died for them. I need to hear that. The Lord, the Lord brings it up to me. I'm, I'm embarrassed he did that in front of you all, but hey, you know, you, you take what we got from the Lord, right? Verse seven here. Then Elisha went to Damascus and Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, was sick. So that story ended, the Lord's telling us about another deal that happened with Elisha. 
he goes to this place called Damascus, and we're familiar from that from the New Testament too, right? And here's the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, we've seen him before, and he is sick. And it was told him saying, the man of God has come here. So here we see another amazing coincidence. And of course, I'm kidding when I say coincidence because as Christians we know there are no coincidences. The truth is that our God is on the throne and he is sovereign. He rules over all, including the circumstances of our life. So when things come together like this, we can be sure the Lord has set it up and he did that for a purpose, okay? So Elisha, he heads up this way. And you know, Elisha is so in tune with the Lord. I'm sure the Lord must have tapped him on his shoulder and say, here's where you're going today. Yes, Lord, here's my assignment. I'm on my way. So he's headed that way. And it just so happens that the king of Syria was pretty sick. So somebody tells the king that, hey, you know, if you want to get some help with that illness, you know, this might be your lucky day because the man of God, Elisha, just happens to be in town. And I don't, I don't know those words for the exact conversation, but I can kind of picture that something like that might have been said to him, like, hey, uh, help is around if you want to check it out. Because remember, this is the same king who sent Naaman down there to get help from Elisha when he had leprosy. So they know the story about Elisha healing Naaman. They know, you know, that's why this world would, would uh, this would surely get the king's attention you know, to let him know that Elisha's right here in town. He'd say, whoa, isn't that the guy? Yeah, that's the guy that helped name it. Okay, um, I'm thinking about getting hold of that guy. So verse 8, the king said to Haziel, take a present in your hand, go to meet the man of God, and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, shall I recover from this disease? So the king is going to send a gift in hopes that he's going to find favor with Elisha and get some divine help from him. And how do you like this pagan king? You know, he's asking him to inquire of the true God of Israel. Do you notice that? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Not just go see if he's got a God and what he knows. He's, he knows who he's talking about here. And isn't it interesting, when someone is on maybe their deathbed, that now they're ready to cry out to God for help. <laughs> you know, what do, you, what do they say? There are no atheists in the foxholes, right? <laughs> yeah. And notice the main question that this king has. Shall I recover from this disease. So he must have been pretty sick to ask a question like that. And you know, a lot of times it takes a person to realize how bad off they are before they seek help, especially from the Lord. That's why we try to let people know, number one, that they are sinners. You know, and number two, that sin is so bad that a person will be sentenced to an eternity in the lake of fire if they don't get their sins forgiven. And hopefully, if a person realizes how bad they are, you know, how bad off they are, then maybe they're going to cry out to Jesus and they're going to get saved, which is what we hope happens, right? I know that's what it took for me. You know, once I understood I was going to burn forever in the lake of fire, that was enough to get me on my knees and ask Jesus to forgive me. So don't shy away from telling people how bad sin is and how horrible the price is they're going to pay if they don't receive Jesus before they die. And then pray, you know, that that's shocking news will wake them up. So look at verse 9. It goes on. So Haziel went to meet him. He goes to see Elisha, and he took a present with him. And notice what he took. Of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camel loads. And he came, and he stood before him, and he said, Your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? So Haziel, 
he showed up and he brought a whole lot of gifts with him. That should be enough to convince the man of God to help the king. <laughs> you can see how people work. They're used to this. If I want some, I'm going to have to bribe somebody or I have to pay him. Uh, but we know from Elisha's past that he works for the Lord, not for riches. You know, we're not even told whether he accepted these gifts or not. But if he did, knowing Elisha, he probably took him back to the school of prophets to help them guys out. That's, that's what he's about. He doesn't care about the financial stuff, right? So uh, he's told here that the king has a question for him. In verse 10, Elisha's going to give the answer because the king wants to know, am I going to recover? Elisha said to him, go say to him, you shall certainly recover. So that's the message he wants to give to him. And then he says, however, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Wow, what a contradictory message from the prophet. Was Elijah being deceptive? No. <laughs> he was actually being bluntly honest. Because we got the rest of the story. We know what happened. The king was going to recover from the illness, but he was still going to die from a different cause. And he's about to talk about the real cause of the king's death. Boy, this is a, kind of a crazy story. The king wants to know, am I going to recover? And the Lord says, oh yeah, you're going to recover. But it ain't going to last long. <laughs> really short recovery time. Verse 11 here. Then he, uh, Elisha, I'm sorry, verse 10. Uh, Elisha said, go say to him, you shall certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Verse 11. Then he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed. And the man of God wept. So after Elisha gave him this news that your king is going to die, the Lord showed me that, Elisha started to stare at Hazael. And he kept looking right at him until Hazael was ashamed. This constant stare brought conviction on him. Apparently, the Lord had revealed some things to Elisha, and Elisha was just staring right through this guy because of what the Lord had shown him. You know, Hazael probably looked down and he looked away because he couldn't take the conviction anymore. And at that point, I think that's when Elijah couldn't take it anymore either because of what he saw coming in the future through this evil man. And it caused Elisha to just start weeping. And he's going to tell us what it is in a little bit here. But Elisha, it's interesting to see the picture of this guy, okay, the man of God, the prophet of the Lord here. Elisha was said to be a good picture of the compassion of Christ. And this passage reminds me of how Jesus wept over the future that he saw too. Take a look at Luke chapter 19 for a minute. Luke chapter 19. Sorry, that was my phone that was dinging. I forgot to turn it down. How we forget these little things, huh? Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Look how Jesus responded here. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Now, as he drew near, talking about Jesus... He saw this city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your Lord's visitation. Now look back to Matthew chapter 23, talking about the same incident here. And it gives us a little, little more information. So Matthew chapter 23. 
If you look down to verse 37. Matthew 23, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So there's a picture, too, of how Jesus, you know, was so compassionate and how it broke his heart to see the future of what was coming because of the foolishness of people. They won't open themselves to the Lord. Look back to our Second Kings passage and look back to verse 12 here. After Elisha kind of stares this guy down and then he starts weeping. In verse 12, Haziel said, why is my Lord weeping? You know, and he answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. So now he tells us what the Lord showed him. Their strongholds you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with a sword. And you will dash their children and rip open their women with child. Now, the Lord had revealed these things to Elisha, and they did come to pass exactly as he said. You know, some have questioned whether Elisha was supposed to have revealed these things to this wicked man. Now, one commentator said, I wonder if he even put these ideas in his head, but no, I believe that the, he was supposed to tell him that this here whole information from the Lord to let him know God knows what you're thinking and what you're planning because it would give Heziel an opportunity to repent, you know? Unfortunately, he didn't take advantage of the opportunity that was offered to him by the Lord. It's kind of like when we tell people about the coming wrath of God in this world and the future lake of fire judgment. You know, some people don't think that we should tell people things like that. But it's the same way, that if that person that's listening to us, if they respond correctly to that news, they'll repent and they'll ask Jesus to come in their life and he'll save them. That's always the hope that we have, right? Now, look for a minute what the Lord had shown to Elisha here about this evil character. For one, he said he was going to do this to the children of Israel. These are God's people. They're living in rebellion to the Lord right now, but they're God's people. So when he does this, that's who he's doing it to. Secondly, he was going to destroy their strongholds, it says. That would be the, kings that, the things that keep them safe from attack. He was going to make them unprotected. What a wicked guy, huh? Thirdly, he was going to execute their young men. These would be the strength and future of their military. And fourthly, he was going to be cruel and heartless in aborting their children. I mean, dashing their children. Didn't say aborting, but, you know, dashing their children here. And even going so far as ripping open their pregnant women. And by the way, for the pro-abortion people who try to argue that legal abortion is safe for women, that is a lie. <clears throat> some women have hemorrhaged after legal abortion, and some of them have even died. You know, and in that case in Pennsylvania I mentioned before, that abortion bill was found to be completely unsanitary. And some women suffered afterwards due to their negligence. So when you hear some of these, these rich, liberal politicians say that abortion is safe, just know they are lying. And if they're that cruel, that they're wanting to kill babies and damage women, what would ever make somebody think that they care about the rest of the population in America? We are foolish people when we swallow this stuff, right? 
Now, I know what some of you are thinking here. This Haziel could easily be one of the liberal politicians in our country since he seems to pretty much have the same agenda. Weaken the military, weaken the general populace, kill babies, and harm pregnant mothers. Now, maybe not they haven't gone that far yet, but that's not far of a stretch to see if you think about it, you know? And let's face it. We know who was behind Haziel's wicked and cruel plan, right? Satan was. And we know who's behind any liberal plan in our country that would seek to kill unborn babies. It's the same devil, okay? Verse 13 goes on. So Haziel said, but what is your servant? So he just told him, this is all the stuff that you're going to be doing. God showed me this. And he says, what is your servant, a dog, that he should do this gross thing? Now, we need to get the full gist of what he's saying here because a dog back then wasn't a cute little household pet that we think of today. A dog was a dirty scavenger that roamed the streets. So he's saying, what do you think I am, a dirty scavenger that roams the streets, you know? So his point was, I'm not that low of a guy. Why are you telling me this stuff? But he proved later on that he was that bad and even worse, okay? Verse 13, as it goes on, Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. So Elisha told him where he had gotten his information from God Almighty. It was from the same God that they were asking help from. Isn't that interesting? And God had shown Elisha that this evil guy was going to be the next king over Syria. What a powerful position for such an evil man. Wow. Verse 14, it's no wonder Elisha was weeping. Verse 14, then he departed from Elisha and he came to his master, that's the king of Syria he went to, and he said, who said to him, what did Elisha say to you? And he answered, he told me you would surely recover. So he relayed the good news that Elisha had told him, but he didn't tell him the rest. So the king was probably relieved, you know, and oh, he probably let down his guard thinking, oh man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it through this. This is good news. Verse 15, but it happened on the next day, the next day, you're going to recover. But it's only going to last one day, unfortunately, right? The next day that he took a thick cloth, he dipped it in water, he spread it over his face so that he died, and Haziel reigned in his place. So Haziel didn't waste any time in assassinating the king, you know? I believe that he had been planning this ever since he found out the king was ill. He probably figured that he wouldn't get a better opportunity than this one, you know, while the king was in a weakened state. And especially if the Lord is going to heal this guy, I probably need to act pretty fast. I'm guessing that was his thinking. But he had been planning this. This wasn't a late thought for him. Verse 16. Now in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel. Remember we're talking about the northern kingdom at this point. This gets a little tricky in the wording here. But verse 16, it says, in the fifth year of Joram, he's the son of Ahab. He's the king of Israel in the north. Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah... That would be king in the south. Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah. Okay, so the Lord has had us focusing on the northern kingdom for a while and her kings for some time. And now he's going to direct our attention to what was going on in the southern kingdom of Israel. And the term here when he says the king of Judah, it's the same as saying the king, the king of the southern kingdom of, of Israel. It's just that Judah was known as the main place. So that was a place that was referred to a lot of times. So verse 17, this guy was 32 years old when he became king. He's the son of Jehoshaphat, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. So not a really long reign. 
This was Jehoshaphat's son. You know, we're told he reigned eight years in Jerusalem because that's the capital of the southern kingdom. Verse 18, he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. That's the northern kingdom it's talking about. Just as the house of Ahab had done. And here's the reason. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now this is telling us that even though he was a king in the southern kingdom, that he was living as ungodly as the kings of the northern kingdom. And if you remember, there were no good kings in the northern kingdom after the kingdom divided. Not one king in the north was ever referred to as good in the eyes of the Lord. The southern kingdom had some, but there were none in the northern kingdom. And as it mentions Ahab here, Ahab was, remember, a very evil king. We took, we had a good look at him before. So to say that he was walking in Ahab's footsteps... <laughs> was saying that he was evil to the core. Not a good thing. And we're told why he was living as evil as Ahab was, because the king was married to Ahab's daughter, which meant that she was also Jezebel's daughter. And the apple hadn't fallen far from the tree. Okay? It's so sad that her evil influence caused this king to go down a very evil path. Now, just so we get the picture here, the full picture of this one. This king, okay, the son of Jehoshaphat, his grandfather was King Asa. And if you remember, he was one of the greatest kings over the southern kingdom. This guy, he, he lived to please the Lord, okay? A lot of good things about this guy. And Asa's son, Jehoshaphat, no, that's this guy's dad. He was also a pretty good king. But now this king, who had such a godly influence from his grandfather and from his own father had left all of that to go over to the other side of darkness. And what caused that? It tells us his marriage to an evil woman. Wow. So this should be a good and stern warning to young people. Be very cautious about who you marry. They can have a powerful influence on you. But I'm sure somebody watched this guy growing up in his family and thinking, oh, man, this, this guy's going to be something. His dad was awesome with the Lord. His granddad was awesome with the Lord. This guy can't wait to see how God's going to use him. And he trashes all of that for this lady. Wow. So that's why because of the influence that you can get from a spouse, that's why you should marry somebody who loves the Lord even more than you do. You know, let them have a godly influence on you, all right? Verse 19 goes on. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David, as he promised him to give, a, give him a lamp to him and his sons for how long? Forever, okay? Wow, this, this tells us that this guy had led them into so much evil, <laughs> and Ahab was as wicked as it come. So this guy followed in those steps, okay? He had led the southern kingdom into so much evil that the Lord had every right to destroy that place, destroy those people. That's saying a lot, okay? But look why God showed them grace. Because of his promise to King David, okay? King David here is a picture of Christ for us. We've been so evil in our life that the Lord has every right to destroy us, right? But because of the promises that the Lord made through Jesus, because of the new covenant, God will save us and not destroy us. And thankfully, 
his promises to us are forever also. Okay? But I wanted you to catch that one statement at the end of verse 19, that the Lord promised to give them a lamp to him and his sons forever. Okay? We live in a time where people are trying to discredit Israel, trying to say God's done with them. They really need to read the Old Testament very carefully. God says over and over again, I, I made this deal. This is what I'm working towards. I'm not going to fail on this. I'm going to bring these people through. I made promises to them that they have not seen fulfilled yet. So I'm not discarding them. The day's coming where they will be fulfilled. So church, man, hold on to the word of God. Don't, don't listen to all these folks that are, there's a big wave coming across our country saying, forget Israel, man, forget it. In the church that's happening. So uh, shame on the body of Christ for not staying in the word and taking what it really says to be true, okay? We're gonna stop at this point. You know, the Lord's given us a, a lot to chew on, I think, in our passage here, and there's more coming. Uh, man, I tell you, the Lord gives us some hard lessons. He lets us know, though, on the good side, that he can set things up. He can make things work out that we couldn't imagine. He can make circumstances come together, and he's got a plan, and we just need to surrender to his plan. So uh, let's pray. Father, if we're, we're here today, and uh, if we've, we wonder what's going on, and we wonder, Lord, do you have something for us? I pray. Help us to have the strength. Just hang in there and to see what you got cooking, Lord, what you got going. Because we look forward to the day where you just shock us. You, you bring things together. You bless us, Lord. You work in ways that we cannot even explain. And you leave your fingerprints all over it. So we have to say, Lord, all glory and praise goes to you. And Father, if there's somebody here today that's discouraged, I ask you to encourage them, Lord. You love them so much. I pray this word would, would just speak to their heart today and they know that you care for them. So Lord, uh, I pray you help folks hang in there. And if there's anybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior today, Lord, let them open their heart. Let them humble themselves and say, I need you, Jesus. I'm a sinner. I need my sins forgiven. I don't want to face the lake of fire. I want to be set free. I want to follow you. So please, Lord, help them to make that decision. And Lord, as, as always, we give back all glory honor and praise to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.